0: you're listening to the archive a collection of sermons and teachings from pastor mike and his peers from days past stick around for timeless truths
1: that still speak to the issues of our days Today I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible and invite you to follow along in whichever translation you might have with you. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. For we shall surely die and are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life but plans ways so that the banished one may not be cast out from him. Death is disgusting. It's disgusting because it speaks of separation from loved ones and unfulfilled dreams. Death is rude. It interrupts one's conversation with life. Death is not only rude, it's also ruthless. It will let nothing stand in its way as far as the accomplishment of its goal is concerned. Not only is death disgusting, but death is also disturbing. It's disturbing because it's a totally foreign experience for us. And what we do not know, we fear. It was Count Meitrelink of Belgium who said, I am a frightened child in the presence of death. Woody Allen said, It's not that I'm afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I can tell many of you agree with Mr. Allen. In a more serious moment, listen to what this movie movie mogul said. You have to deny the reality of death to go on every day. But for me, even with all the distractions of my work and my life, I spend a lot of time face to face with my own mortality. In this same interview, you would find it interesting, I'm sure, to note that Mr. Allen said that his main focus in his work is religious in orientation, not artistic. His main concern is how to figure out life. What is the meaning of life? And inevitably, when you begin to ask that question about the meaning of life, you also have to ask the biggest of all questions, what will happen to me when I die? This passage of Scripture, which we're looking at today, gives us insight into this matter of death. It speaks of the certainty of death. Look again at verse 14. The Word of God says, we shall surely die. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, we are told it is appointed once for men to die, and after this comes judgment. The Old Testament, once again, says there is a time to be born and a time to die. We each have an appointment with death, and it's etched in death's daytimer. but we are clueless. You may have heard about the artist who had his paintings in a particular gallery, and he went periodically to check to see if any of them were selling. He went one day, and he asked the woman who owned the gallery if there'd been any interest in his paintings. She said, I have good news, and I have bad news. The good news is that a guy came in here yesterday... And asked if your paintings would go up in value once you were dead. And I told him, yes, they would. He proceeded to buy 15 of your paintings. And the artist said, and the bad news? And the owner of the gallery said, the bad news is the guy was your doctor. (laughs) We do all have... An appointment with death, but we really are in the dark as to when that might occur. A hearse in the state of Connecticut was seen with this license plate, U2. Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, had one of his slaves given this assignment. Every day when that slave would see Philip of Macedon, he was to say to Philip, Philip, remember that you must die. Now, I want to stop here and note something that the psychotherapist Carl Young has said, that after a man reaches 35, a large portion of his thought processes have to do with this whole issue of dying. Now, I'd like to see a show of hands of all who are under 35 who are here today. Just raise your hand, please. Over half the people here are probably under 35. This message is for you, too. It's not just for the rest of us who are over the hill. Let me remind you, scholars of English literature, that the three greatest lights of the Romantic period, John Keats died at the age of 25. Percy Bysshe Shelley died one week short of his 30th birthday. Lord Byron died when he was 36. Death visits the young as well as the old. Death is no respecter of persons when it has to do with age. During the Middle Ages, the skull and crossbones could be seen etched on drinking cups, bridges, rings, and china as a reminder that life is fleeting. And reflects what the Bible says in the fourth chapter of James. That our life is but a vapor and it's soon going to vanish away. How quickly life seems to elude us. As scary as death is, though, it's nothing compared to meeting a holy God Did you notice as we were reading through the 10th chapter of Hebrews that the Bible says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Pope Paul VI said, the fear of God's judgment at the moment of death is always present and full of mystery. I wish I could have had an audience with the Pope, this brother in Christ, I would assume. And I would have liked to have. Taken him to 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, which says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's rather clear-cut. Do you have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you opened your life to Him and received Him? If that's the case, I would invite you to turn with me to the fifth chapter of the book of John. And listen to these wonderful words which Jesus spoke John chapter 5, beginning with verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal life is a present possession for those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. What a wonderful description of what occurs when a person receives Christ, spiritually dead. All of a sudden, the lights are turned on. The person receives Christ. The person moves in the direction of Jesus, out of death into life. Jesus himself describes himself on more than one occasion as, I am the life, I am the resurrection in the life, I am the way and the truth and the life. And notice what Jesus says, the person does not come into judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that to face judgment. But the good news for those of us who are in Jesus Christ is, when that happens, when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be a dreadful day. It's not going to be a terrifying moment. It's going to be a wonderful moment. It's going to be a glorious moment. Because we will not be clothed in our own acts of righteousness I remind you what the prophet Isaiah said on behalf of God. He said, all your righteous acts are like filthy rags. The most righteous person present this morning, if we could pinpoint who that individual is in this room, if you could take all of your righteous deeds and you would put them before the Lord, they would be like a pile of dirty rags before the Lord, defiled before God. But the good news for us is that we're clothed not in our own righteousness if we're in Christ. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when Christ looks at us now and God the Father looks at us now, guess where we are? We're in the best place of safety imaginable. We're in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, the Bible says. So if you're in Christ, you have no need To fear death. The terror, however, of falling into the hands of the living God is to be found in death's cause. And let's return now to 2 Samuel chapter 14 and read it again. For we shall surely die and are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life. Now, I love this. A lot of people blame God for taking away life. But that is not the case. God does not take away life. Listen to what God says through the prophet Ezekiel in the 18th chapter of that prophet's book. He says, why will you die, O Israel? He's pleading with Israel not to turn away from him, but to turn to him. Why will you die, O Israel? For I find no pleasure in the death of anyone, not just those who are my children, but of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Our God is one who takes great pleasure in people living spiritually and coming to life. Jesus said in John's Gospel that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. Jesus did not come to rub sin in. Jesus Christ was sent to rub sin out. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he was raised from the dead. So that you and I will no longer have to live in fear of dying. Because when we die, we will merely pass from this form of existence into eternal life in the fullest sense of the word with the Lord. So what is death's cause? In a word, it is sin. Once again, I appeal to the prophet Ezekiel in the 18th chapter. He says the person who sins will die. Also in... Romans chapter five, the twelfth verse, the word of God says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, guess why people die? It's because sin is in the world. It's sin in your life and my life that ultimately results in our dying. Not that every sickness is directly related to sin, but if we did not have sin in us, we would not die. Let me repeat this verse again. Therefore, just. As sin entered into the world through one man, namely Adam, and death through sin. And death has spread to all men, every man, because all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. In Isaiah chapter 59, God says, your iniquities have separated you from God. So why am I separated from God? As this passage of scripture suggests, why am I banished? From God, Why am I in jeopardy of being cast out by God? It's because of my sin. It's my sin which separates me. It's my sin which causes God to hide his face from me. Well, are we just stuck in this dilemma? Fortunately not. Because this passage of Scripture also speaks of death's conquest. Read this last part of verse 14 again. Yet God does not take away life but plans ways so that the banished one may not be cast out from him. The word which is translated plans here is an accounting term used in Leviticus chapter 27. It's a term used to describe skillful art in Exodus chapter 31. It's a word which is used in Second Chronicles chapter 26 to describe clever military inventions. We have an ingenious God who has put together an incredible plan For our salvation. Listen to what this plan is. Which God has devised. Notice the subject. Of each of these sentences. Both of which come from the writings of Paul. God made him. Namely Jesus. To become sin on our behalf. In order that we might be made the righteousness of God. In Christ. Remember where our righteousness is. It's in Christ. And then. The Bible goes on to say. God. Raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered up, speaking of the cross, because of our transgressions, and was raised for our justification. Do you know what justification is, biblically speaking? Just as if I had never sinned. I want to go back to where I was a few moments ago. When God looks at me, if I'm in Christ, he sees me as if I had never sinned. Now, have I sinned? I've sinned already today. And I've confessed it to the Lord, and I'm not going to tell you what it was. Because he's already forgotten it. But I have. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, the Bible tells us, once we confess our sins. Christ also died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. Isn't that incredible? This sinless Lamb of God. Who had no reason except to be motivated by an incredible love. Something that we cannot begin to fathom. Who loved us unconditionally. While we were yet sinners. While we were still in a position of animosity and enmity toward Him. While we were His enemies, His foes. What did He do? He became man. And then He lived. And then He died after having lived a sinless life to secure your salvation and my salvation. Incredible. God's plan is life, not death. Would you say that with me? God's plan is life, not death. The Apostle Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now listen, I'm going to read something to you because I don't want to mess it up and get off on a tangent, but I want you to hear this. We fear death in direct proportion to what we feel we will lose by it. The person who lives to accumulate wealth and dominate people has a lot to lose by dying. But the person who surrenders control and gives away his life daily to Jesus Christ knows that at death he has nothing to lose and everything to gain. How can you and I be best prepared to die? Well, the way we can be best prepared to die is to start doing it today. And I'm not talking about physical dying. I'm talking about spiritual relinquishment of control of my life. Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How frequently? Daily. And follow me. The Apostle Paul's testimony is, I die daily. When you and I get to the end of our lives, the ease with which we will pass from this life to the next will be directly related to the way in which we have related to our lives in terms of yielding our lives to the Lord. Our experience will have taught us that it is in losing our lives that we ultimately find our lives. The more we learn to trust God as evidence in our letting go of the control of our life, the more... He will be able, we rather, will be able to accept his physical dying, our physical dying, the ultimate surrender, entrusting our souls back to the faithful creator. In preparation for this message, I went to a book which I'd read many years ago by a man named E. Stanley Jones, who was a great missionary to India. And in the book, he tells a little story that was so powerful He told about going as a pastor to minister to a woman in Christ who was dying. And when he got there, she was almost hilarious. And he thought she probably was reacting to the drugs she'd been taking for pain. But it was obvious after he was there that she wasn't even on any kind of painkiller. And she said, I'm almost being tickled to death. Can you imagine? And the reason that she was saying that is because she had relinquished her life to the Lord on a regular basis. Not just once, but repeatedly she had given up new areas of her life which she became familiar with, which were not under the control of the Lord. Now, how is God's plan activated? May I let Jesus himself answer this question from the book of John, the 11th chapter. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. And if he lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Now listen to the closing question. He says, do you believe this? Do you really believe my word? That if one believes in Jesus, that person will never die? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our Faith in Jesus Christ. Putting one's faith in Christ is the key which unlocks the door to no fear when it comes to death. May I take a stab in closing to describe what real faith is. Saving faith. It's not mere intellectual assent. Not just knowing that Jesus died for your sins, was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven and is coming again. As important as that is. And you need to believe that to receive Christ, nor is it a crisis faith. It's like when you're studying for a big exam or you've got a child who's critically ill or you have some other issue in your life, a financial pressure, and you say, Lord, if you will just get me over this hump, then I'm going to straighten my life out. All of us have been guilty of that kind of faith, and God does not necessarily frown on that kind of faith. I would not leave the wrong impression, but what I would say, that kind of faith is not the kind of faith that qualifies for eternal life listen carefully to the words of god not my words john chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 say but as many as received him namely jesus to him he gave the right to become children of god not everybody's a child of god i don't want to burst anybody's bubble here today but the truth is only those who have received christ have become the children of god and John goes on to explain what real faith is to those who have believed in his name. Receiving is believing. Jesus stands at the door and knock. He says, here I am. I stand at the door knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Is that receiving or what? That's what real faith is. Opening life. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The celebrated author John Grisham received a call from his college classmate, who at the age of 25 was dying with cancer. And his friend said, could you meet with me, John? This was before Grisham was popular. He said, of course I can. They met, and this is the question after listening to his friend speak that John Grisham asked. What do you do when you realize you're about to die? And his friend replied, it's really rather simple. You get things right with God... You spend as much time with the people whom you love, and then you settle up with everybody else. And then he concluded by saying, you know, John, really, you ought to live every day like you have only a few more days to live. Grisham, in the interview where this was recorded, drawled, I've never forgotten my friend's advice. It may come as a surprise to some of you, but John Grisham has received the gift of eternal life. He's unashamedly a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death is the last enemy. And when Christ was raised from the dead, he abolished death. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you in Christ today? I go back one more time to a verse which I quoted and I didn't finish from Ezekiel chapter 18. The last verse of that chapter, this is what God says. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Repent. Most people just want to believe, but they're not willing to turn their lives completely over to Jesus Christ. But if you will do what the Lord says today, and notice what his heart is repent. Turn from controlling your own life, turn from going your own way, and then let me have control of your life. And the net result of that is you will live. You will live. This is the message of Easter. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Would you bow your head for a moment? Let me ask you. Have you received Christ? I mean, really. Not played at receiving Christ. Are you sure that you have eternal life? That if you were to die today, that you would go to be with God in heaven? It can be settled today. If you will turn over the control of your life to Jesus Christ today, and you can do it by praying a simple prayer in your heart, you can pray this prayer. Pray it along with me. And if you pray it in sincerity, Jesus will answer it. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for showing your love by dying on the cross me, please forgive me, Lord, for my sin, for controlling my own life rather than letting you control me. Lord, would you please come into my life and give me eternal life? I want you to be my boss from now on. And as you give me strength, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord. Look this way. If you prayed that prayer with sincerity, you sensed something happening to you. And what happened to you was that Christ answered that prayer and he entered your life. And you are now a person who has eternal life. You don't have to wait till you die. You have it now if you sincerely pray that prayer. And what the Lord wants you to do is share that with somebody. If you want to share it with me or with one of the pastors in just a moment, we'd be delighted. Jesus wants us to confess him before men. Remember that he says, if you're ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, I will also be ashamed of you when I come in my glory with the angels of God. You need to share... This commitment that you've made today with somebody before you leave the place today. It may not be up front here, but find someone with whom you came or someone whom you know to be a follower of Christ. Share that with him or her. Let's stand together as we sing this time hymn of commitment. You are my all in all. Sing it to the Lord, please, today.
0: You are my strength when I You are the treasure that I see. You are my own.
1: Please be seated for a moment. I've been here in this room for four hours, believe it or not, and I'm not a bit tired. I can't imagine. I don't want to leave here today, actually, so you can say, Pastor, it's up to you.
0: <laughs> Whatever you
1: want to do, it's your, your deal. It's been a great day. I wish you could have been in the other two worship services with us today. I'm glad you came today, and if you are our guest We say a special welcome to you. Perhaps you came here and you'd like a copy of the Jesus video. It's a highly acclaimed Hollywood production. You can get one in the foyer when you leave today, and we invite you to do that. I'm going to ask also Margarita Trevino to stand with her mother and dad here at the end of our worship time. And you'll take a moment to come by and congratulate Margarita and her... Public profession of faith by being baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys just be ready. We're we've got to take the offering and have another song before we do that. So we're so delighted about this. Joseph, am I forgetting? I know I'm probably forgetting something. All right, I I forget something every service. So it's it's really neat to have the opportunity to be here with you today. At this time, our men are going to come and receive what we call a benevolence offering for you, our guests. You don't have to give anything. We don't expect guests to give any money. But what we do as members, whenever we observe communion, we do take an offering for the poor. And this benevolence offering is now being received. So listen with great anticipation as our worship team finishes a great day of ministry to the Lord and to his church.
0: Lord, and do what you call me to do. For you love me and praise me and call me by name. There's nothing I'll hold back from you. Singing it out. be to Jesus.
1: Thanks be to God for the worship team, for Becky and Terry, for Javier and Arnie McClatchy for the wonderful narration. Thank you all very much. We love you and appreciate all the effort that you have placed in helping us worship the Lord in such a meaningful way today. Let's say thank you one more time. Amen. All right, Brother Joseph, if you will come and close us in prayer. Let's stand together and you'll be dismissed when Joseph finishes praying. As we stand, would you please join hands with the person next to you. Let's go ahead and gap the aisles too here so we can be a family across the aisles. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, to be in your house is a joy. I was glad, very glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord today. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus. To all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you. You are dismissed.
0: Amen.